0: back to another episode of the Kings Pulse podcast presented by the Kings Herald. My name is Brendan Nunez and today the Kings made a trade for Kevin Herder. so I thought it was fitting to get someone on board that uh, could give us a little bit of insight on Kevin Herter and for that reason I have Glenn Willis, contributor for Peachtree Hoops including podcast host for the ATL and 29 podcast that's part of Peachtree Hoops. What's going on Glenn? How are you doing man?
1: I'm good. I, I had a hard time keeping up with all the crazy news today, but I, I think now that I'm towards the end of uh, the business day, I'm, I'm caught up, but I'm definitely ready to talk Kevin Herter with you.
0: Yeah, it's a lot to keep up with for sure, and did a different pod earlier today, and in the middle of it, Rudy Gobert gets traded to Minnesota, so just a chaotic time in the NBA, but pretty exciting and easy to forget that we even have Summer League tomorrow, at least for Sacramento, so... lot going on pretty quickly here and uh just to start to go with through the details of that deal that ended up happening between the kings and the hawks we had uh, kevin herter getting traded to the kings in exchange for justin holiday maurice harkless and a 2024 first round pick that's lottery protected and then after that would go to top 12 protected in 2025 top 10 protected in 2026 and if it does not convey by then which would be a shocker it would turn into two seconds Um, let's just start Glenn, like what is your initial reactions when, when you see this deal go down?
1: Yeah, it's a little surprising to see the Hawks kind of quote, give up on a guy who's 24 years old and has already shown a lot. Um, when I think of Herder, I especially think back to the run the Hawks made to the Eastern Conference finals two seasons ago, and he was just an absolutely huge contributor, um, during that run. Um, But the Hawks, you know, with the acquisition of DeJounte Murray, um, Herter presumably doesn't have a starting spot anymore. Um, Travis Schlenk, uh, the president of basketball operations, is kind of known for wanting to help his players kind of be in a situation that's good for them. In addition to that, a a lot of people that cover the team are suspicious that the Hawks want to function as an over-the-tax team this year, and this move gives them a little bit more configurability. So, for example, if they decide to move Harkless and not keep him, you know, they're getting a little bit better kind of a, a salary cap kind of position to kind of get under the tax if they want to. But um, I don't think anyone's surprised that they moved one of Bogdanovich, Herder, uh, or John Collins. Um, but I think Herter, uh, you know, his versatility and his ability to shoot the ball and a function of secondary creator uh, probably drove a lot of natural market interest uh, there. So, from the Hawks standpoint, if I, as a, if I'm talking from a Hawks fan, I don't like to see Herter go. I think he has a ton of potential still, and has shown so much. On the other side, a guy like Hawks really did prove on defense a lot, and Justin Holiday uh, brings that. Harkless, if healthy, also brings just a lot of good veteran um, uh, things on the defensive end of the court that kind of comes along with him. And they needed another draft pick because they sent so many to the Spurs and the Murray deal. So it's an interesting deal. I think it could work out well for both sides, um, but it's always hard to see a young, promising player kind of kind of move on. Um, the fan base gets invested in him and, and such.
0: Yeah, it's kind of funny how Bogdanovich and Herter swap in places after a little bit of delay in between the two and feel like they have somewhat similar skill sets. And I think from Sacramento's point of view, it's um, promising to hear that Atlanta fan base and and people that cover the team are kind of looking at it as um you know sad to see him go and maybe there's more potential there I was shocked to find out he's still 23 years old and not long from being 24 um admittedly thought that he was a little bit older than that and just in the first year of a four-year 65 dollar uh 65 million dollar contract that I, I think is uh Pretty good price for Kevin Herter and then just to cover a little bit of what my perspective on what the Kings gave up, um, Justin Holliday is in theory a better defender. I we didn't see that at the end of last year, but the second half of the Kings' season last year, it's kind of hard to gauge what anybody really did. Um, they you know had six different guys um, come in and out of the lineup at the trade deadline and with Fox uh, with Sabonis and Halliburton being a big swap there was just a lot of change and a coaching change in the middle of the year it was a weird season for the Kings and uh yeah Harkless was a guy they talked about is maybe their best low man defender and that's uh something that they're losing but it wasn't all too great at hitting open shots and at very least the Kings need guys that can hit their open threes uh last season they ended up ranking 28th in catch and shoot three point percentage at 35.8%. And there were only 11 teams in the league that shot worse than 36% on catch and shoot threes. And eight of those 11 didn't make the postseason. Herter comes in and Harrison Barnes is the only guy that was on the roster at the end of the last season that shot a better catch and shoot three point percentage than the 41.9% that, they were get, that they're were that they going to be getting from Kevin Herter. And I think we can just kind of start there. Like how good of a three point shooter do you view Kevin Herter? Because it's easy to look at the numbers and just simply, like I said, 41.9% catch and shoot, three point shooter, 38.9% on about five and a half triples per game last season. Um, but also, Buddy Heald's numbers look pretty good by the end of most years, and Kings fans knows that he can be pretty streaky, and maybe it doesn't quite feel like that. So, when you when Kevin Herter's out there, do you view him as a a really high level three point shooter that's constantly getting the respect of opposing defenses on a nightly basis? For sure, he's a guy
1: who can spot up kind of two full steps behind the three point line. He has that kind of range, so he doesn't have to be right up on the three point line. Um, if we're talking about kind of as a spot up shooter, he's about as good as it gets. You know, he's uh, you know excellent uh, in that mode. I mean, we all know who the best you know several shooters in the league are that are kind of in the tier of their own but if we try to kind of talk about that next tier he he maybe is in that second tier he's that good as a spot-up shooter um if we depending upon how like how much detail we're going to get into he's not yet been as good shooting while coming off of screens. shooting he's known for being good shooting on the move but for whatever reason just kind of sprinting off of a screen whether that's floppy action or some other sort of pin down initiation um, and for me, as I've watched him, you know, across these years in Atlanta, that's come back to uh, two things. One is uh, conditioning, which, and the other is uh, just some injuries, which which impacts his ability to hit at a high level of conditioning. Um, you know, I think a lot of Hawks fans, when he came in, thought, oh, this could be our next Cal Corver, right? And Cal Corver is as good as any player in history um, shooting on the move. You think about, you know, Redick and, you know, and those types of guys, right? Um and and I thought Herder took a step forward last year in his conditioning and being stronger. He came in as a pretty you know you know thin guy and all that sort of stuff. So I there may be some untapped potential to even get a little bit more shooting versatility. But as the guy who could spot up really deep, well beyond the actual three point line, super reliable three point shooter, he's willing to pull in transition, which I know. I mean, we'll see what they do under Mike Brown, but the the Kings have historically wanted to push the pace of building around deer and Fox and such. So, in that sense, I think there's a lot of good, reliable shooting there. It'll be interesting to see if some of the stuff they've run for Buddy, you know, where there's a lot of coming off of screens, if he'll get any of that, and if he does, how well he do if he'll improve there or not. But a great shooter, uh, generally speaking, with that one little area to maybe look at whether there's some growth there.
0: Yeah, off-movement, I, I think, is kind of where I view the upside and, and maybe there being even more potential. But at very least, the Kings will take a, a damn good spot-up shooter because desperately needed with guys like De'Aaron Fox and DeMontis Sabonis and Mike Brown talked about in his intro presser paint touches being super important to him. And spacing is just going to make it easier for Fox to, to drive um, into the paint and for Sabonis to be posting up and, and things like that. And and when it comes to Herter um, – His off-the-bounce three-point numbers were not phenomenal. Um, What did did you think of his um, ability to kind of create for himself and in the pick-and-roll? I I would assume that he's a secondary creator on on this roster for sure after Fox Sabonis, um, maybe even like FHB or or Murray emerge a little bit in those aspects that I don't think that's something he's asked to do often. But here and there, how how do you think that uh, Herter performs in that aspect?
1: Well, shooting the three-point shot, um, creating his own three-point shot, was more kind of up and down for him this year. And um, this was a really different season for Herter. Um, you know, this was Nate uh, Nate McMillan's first season managing the, the team, and the Hawks kind of went away. For, or The Hawks saw a lot of uh, variety in the kind of defenses they face. A lot of teams started switching a lot more as a way to kind of try to contain Trey um, and other different kinds of coverages. And Nate uh preferred the Hawks to kind of get into one-on-one attacks, find the mismatch after a switch and, and attack there. And Herter um was just not as comfortable doing that. He often caught the ball pretty late in the shot clock once it kind of kind of rotated to the weak side and such. Now he he's really grown a lot dribbling into the mid-range and creating a shot in the mid-range for himself. He's probably one of the better uh mid-range uh shooters uh in the league, especially self-created. And especially kind of attacking the weak side, right when the ball is rotated the weak side and him attacking. So he's much more reliable and seems more comfortable and confident dribbling into the paint, getting to about the you know a step below the, the free throw line or kind of in that general vicinity. It's legitimate six foot seven. He has great elevation and a lot of confidence creating that shot. Um, now, because so ball dominant, you know Herder, you know just had less time on ball last year. I thought he struggled with. Maintaining uh, the kind of rhythm and the amount of rhythm he'd had in prior years. And I thought that affected him at times uh, as a shooter. You could see in games where he wasn't getting as many touches um, and, and such that the shot, the perimeter shot, the three point shot, was just was, wasn't was quite as reliable. Um, and it'll be interesting to see an offense that's built around Fox and Sabonis, like you mentioned. What does what is his kind of touch volume and touch frequency look like there? Sabonis is as good of a passer you get at the position. Uh, so you got to think that there's – I think this is going to be a great fit for Herder, and I think he's going to likely find himself getting the kinds of touches and the frequency touches where some of the rhythm he had in prior years where he was a little better um, in some areas of shooting. I think I think that'll come. Fox shares the ball wonderfully. Savona shares the ball wonderfully. Trey dominates the ball. I'm not saying that critically. That's what Trey is and does. And I have to think, you know, if, if I were to ask Evan Herder right now, he's probably kind of excited about this change – and the opportunity that and the role that that might be um, more optimized for him this year heading into Sacramento playing with Fox and Sabonis and others than trying to get uh, sometimes infrequent touches playing next to Trey.
0: Yeah, I think him and Monk might be the the competition for minutes there, and maybe Terrence Davis is kind of in that situation. But if I'm guessing, I think that Kevin Herter is in my mind the starting two guard right now I think there's still a whole lot of changes that are probably going to take place for the Kings it wouldn't surprise me there's one more significant move that ends up happening with the Rashawn Holmes or a Harrison Barnes um, but I think that as that two guard that is primarily playing off Fox and Sabonis that it, it makes a lot of sense you mentioned that mid-range game yeah i mean thirty two percent of his shot attempts came from the mid range, which is a a decent frequency in today's day and age and he knocked down forty nine percent of them at a good rate. Um, do you think that that kind of is in a way making up for his his game at the rim it, it seemed like from what I saw he doesn't have doesn't do a phenomenal job of getting fully to the rim and and finishing when he's there am i am I on point with that or?
1: Hit the dial on the head. Like if there's an area of to his offensive game where even pro Herder fans in the Hawks fan base were, were frustrated was just the lack of ability to kind of go to the rim. From watching, it seems like an aversion to contact. I think he's played like eight thousand minutes in his career and, and has a really low number of free throws. I I wanna say even like like two fifty or so, you know, somewhere in that Like, like it's it's kind of wild how how seldom he goes to the free throw line. And especially because he's a
0: 36. Oh, so I even gave him a little more credit
1: than he has. So, so that's, that's an, that's been an issue now. So his ability to get to that 10 footer, if you will, and convert at 49% helps with that. But when he's on the court and the opposing defense has a legitimate rim protector, I don't personally, I never personally found myself feeling frustrated. He wouldn't go attack that. I, I think he's smart to get to that mid range pull up and shoot from there. With well, other teams playing a small lineup, maybe doesn't have a rim protector. That's where you're like, Kevin, you need to like attack the rim and kind of get there. And there just wasn't uh, that kind of aggression ever to surface uh, with him there. So maybe that's something that the, his new coaching staff can kind of help him unlock. Um, if he didn't have that mid-range game, I think that would be a real kind of hole in his game. But I think that mid-range game does help there. Um, but because of his size, and he's a good—he's a really good athlete um, and uh, has some you know, pretty good verticality and could surprise you with a, you know, a, a nice uh, entertaining dunk now and then if he has the space to, to kind of pull that off. And so there really isn't any reason I can see they can't get to the rim and compete. You know, with for contact and embrace the opportunity of to to the free throw line, but that definitely has been his biggest area where he's just been um, unwilling to kind of explore that. So I hope for him and for the Kings that's something he can unlock, but it's been uh, a real area of underperformance in, in, in the league so far.
0: NFL Sunday ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that it just got easier to be an NFL fan, even if you live far away. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refunds. Subscription auto renews. 20th Century Studios presents Vacation Friends 2. Now streaming only on Hulu. Look at us. All together again. We just wanted to give you guys a real honeymoon. Shots! 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 Now streaming. Dad! He was just released from jail. Where can I get a drink around here? Back on vacation. This place is nice. It's drug
1: lord nice. I'm
0: sorry, drug lord nice?
1: With more baggage. Ever since he showed up, he turned this
0: relaxing vacation into total chaos. Vacation Friends 2. Rated R. Now streaming only on Hulu. Yeah, absolutely. I I did not somehow catch on to the less than one free throw attempt per game when going through his numbers. So uh, definitely eye-opening, pointing that one out. And yeah, maybe we can see a little bit of that athleticism in transition as the Kings are a team that's uh, planning on running and getting out uh, in the open court a whole lot with this. With this roster specifically, and I think Monk kind of fits that as well, so does Keegan Murray. So I think that the guys that they've been acquiring uh, do fit that. I think those transition threes as a trailer is really valuable in helping with their transition, semi-transition game, um, and, and Kevin Herter fits in that aspect. What about him as um, as a playmaker? And it's probably less of as a primary initiator, um, as we've kind of touched on, but as a connecting piece. What do you make of his passing and decision-making? The Kings have had some guys – uh, that I think when the ball swings to them, maybe they're a little bit hectic and out of control with a Buddy Heald or Dante DiVincenzo. Um, but but how do you trust uh, Herter's decision-making?
1: I have a lot of trust in him as a secondary, uh, for sure. Uh, and I think in some situations, depending on the opponent, he can even handle... Some minutes as the primary on the second unit, if there's a foul situation or injuries or what have you, he's not going to be like way in over his head if he needs to run the offense for three minutes or four minutes or whatever in a random, you know, regular season game. I don't think you want to kind of, you know, have that plan on paper to kind of start the season, but he's capable of that, um, as a lot of teams do now. Um, the Hawks would run uh, sort of that stack setup and get him to the one of the three point breaks, and let him initiate the pick and roll from there. Very comfortable with that. He can hit the skip pass to either corner in that action. Same thing when he's lifting into a DHO, can see and hit the skip pass to either corner. And pretty reliable kind of noticing, like, say if he's playing with Holmes as a, as a lob threat, if that is still kind of the rotation, um, you know, sees that too. So I, I think his, some of his passing has gone untapped because of how ball dominant Trey has been. But in my mind, he can make all of the uh, even I wouldn't say advanced passes like you know that the very very best passers make. But he's a great hit ahead passer, and then the half court, he reads the defense well, he processes the information well, and just makes the right play and and, and hits accurate passes. So I think Hill will benefit from that. I think you know, Barnes, if he's still on the team, will benefit from that. Monk, Monk as well. I think he and Monk can play well off of each other. When the Hawks made the run to the Eastern Conference Finals, uh, to Two years ago, he and Bogdanovich, uh, who Kings fans obviously know, like you mentioned earlier, were great at you know relocating when the other had the ball and h- hitting that pass from one another, and they generated a ton of offense that way. I could see him and Muck and Heald kind of getting into that type of kind of uh, rhythm too. So I, th- I think, I, so I think that'll work well. I think for a uh, secondary playmaker, and especially considering he's only 24 and has some some room to grow, I think he's above average there. Uh, and provides uh, probably, you know, I don't know if I'd say significantly more passing, but a lot more, a good bit more passing than the average two-guard in the league, especially if we're talking about guys under 25.
0: Yeah, the Kings definitely, uh, I mean, fits everything that that they need in a two-guard, in my mind. That, that stack or Spain pick-and-roll is something they ran a whole lot with Buddy. They ended up running it with Dante, too. Um, could see that working with... With Herter, um, they did a lot of hurry-up offense DHOs with um, last year as well, something that you kind of mentioned there. So could easy to see how that fit sort of makes sense offensively in Sacramento. And and to move to Herter on the defensive end, um, from some of the things I was kind of combing through today after this trade happened, it looked like there were an okay amount of times that they were asking Herder to kind of defend point of attack since Trey is maybe not the most ideal uh, guy to be doing that. What do you, what do you make of uh, Herder on the defensive end? I guess we can start with uh, on the ball.
1: Yeah, I thought he looked, took a little bit of a step back on defense this past year. Um, it's a little bit hard to evaluate him individually because the Hawks as a whole took a pretty big step back on defense. They struggled to contain at the point of attack. Um, you know, part of that was Hunt beat, missing Hunter because of his, some of his injury absences. They were negatively impacted when Cam Reddish didn't work out as a as a guy that they wanted to keep around and kind of keep in the rotation. And they ended up kind of pretty shorthanded. So I would never design my defense for him to be the guy who's always taking the other team's kind of best creator. Um, he's, uh, he's okay on ball, but the best initiators are going to get past him uh, regularly enough that that's uh, probably not going to be how you want to go um he was really impactful on defense in that run of the Eastern Conference Finals In fact you can go back and if you look at who had the most number of block shots in the 2021 postseason uh by volume only three players had more than him i think he had 16 blocks in that in that wow. uh, postseason run so he can surprise you guys at the rim he's really good helping from the weak side getting to the rim he has great timing he knows how to get right to the front of the, of the restricted area Um, But when it comes to kind of defending the other team's um, biggest threats, he's better chasing a guy like, say, Seth Curry, uh, like he did in that Sixer series, um, over flare screens and pin downs. He's really, really comfortable top locking and using different techniques like that. You put him on the ball and have him be impacted with multiple ball screens in a possession, he's more likely to get separated from his guy and not hold up as well. Um, and so that I would, you know, it'll be interesting to see how the Kings, you know, solve for that. Um, you know, Fox has such an offensive workload at times. that It's hard to ask him to be the point guard defender all the time. I think Herder can do some of that. If if you're not dealing with a team that is built around their point guard. Um, but, he, but when it comes to kind of designing the best role for him, is going to be chasing a guy like a Seth Curry or a Joe Harris, or, you know, those types, uh, you know, around pin downs and flares and all that sort of stuff. He's, i think he's well above average in that area and then as a help defender he can really surprise you like i said uh just being on time uh tagging uh at the right position um uh um you know getting to the rim and helping and and a pretty good rebounder uh for a, a guard as well as size comes into play there so um again i wouldn't line him up to be the guy i want on ball all the time or to have that as his primary role as a supporting defender like i mentioned in those different areas i think he's really reliable and can be a, a really positive defender in that sense if you carve out the right role for him.
0: Yeah, it sounds like the Kings are getting a handful of players. Um, I would say that Keegan Murray fits the same thing. Malik Monk got better on that end, um, but still not amazing. I, I think that HB fits the description of like a guy that can be a part of a good defense, but I don't know that he's making your defense that much better himself. Um, and I, I think some of the issues that maybe Herder has that make it hard to evaluate like you said him as an individual defender that he dealt with in Atlanta don't know that it's going to be all too much better in Sacramento they're getting a lot of spacing but still to be determined on how much uh, defensive progress we see from a group that two years ago was the worst defense in the NBA and really didn't get all that much improved this year it's going to be a lot about uh System, systematic changes in my mind in buy-in um, and how kind of Mike Brown ends up changing that end of the floor for the Kings and so at very least like I think that Herder's a better defender than maybe what I originally realized there's that good size to him um, that you mentioned as well do you think that there's a um, better position for him between the two or the three
1: I think I, I don't think so necessarily it depends on the, the matchup and the opponent I think his versatility comes that he can defend someone's and he can handle playing at the two or the three, and, and he can also handle because of his size switching. Uh, you know, if you know Atlanta, the last few years has run a lot of what what the league typically calls the red scheme, where you're switching one through four, selective switching and read base switching one through four. He did well there, and the size certainly came in, into the play there, and his ability to process information and communicate. So I think his you know we've talked about kind of the kind of actions and the kind of role that best fits him. But I think his primary value as a defender is the versatility uh, and that he can kind of, you can throw him into a lineup with different guys and he doesn't have to be in one specific role at a time. You can kind of move between roles and that gives you more lineup configurability, especially when you think about how you're going to man the second unit or mix guys that are starting and on the second unit. So I I think the versatility is a real strength for him. And hopefully uh, the Kings can kind of find a way to get enough uh, defense on the wing and that he's part of that solution, and and because if he's asked to be the the best wing defender in the starting lineup, game in game out, as we've talked about, don't know that that's the best for him or the team. Um, you know, there may still be need moves to be made, but I think he's a positive defender. He's a helpful defender, and he has shown flashes like in that uh, the playoffs, you know, a couple of years ago, where he was a real impact defender. And I, you know, I'm I'm I root for him a lot, and. Um uh I, I, I enjoy the Kings. My in-laws live in Sacramento, so I've I've seen a lot of games uh there and probably know more about the Kings than any other team that's not the Hawks, so kind of have a rooting interest there as well. So I, I I hope he gets back to being more of the defender we saw in that playoff series when they made their run to the conference finals because he's it's a lot of fun. Uh and he also has a, a knack for coming up with a big stop late in a close game. He's come up with like several blocks on guys that got free run at the rim. a so, you know, one point game, last possession, he kind of gets to the rim and comes up with a block or uh, gets a deflection or whatever. So he has kind of an ability both on offense and defense to kind of be a little bit of a clutch gene, kind of getting back a little bit of the, kind of what Bogdanovich gave the team for a while on offense a few years ago, you know. So in that sense, he's a really fun player, you know, and, I, and the Kings, in my mind, have one of the best fan bases in the whole league. And I would just love to see, him do really well, the Kings fan base enjoy them, uh, and I'll be rooting for that for sure because he's a really fun guy to watch, especially when he has it kind of going, and, he's, and when he has the confidence, and when he's showing the confidence, a little bit more aggressiveness comes, and that's when it's really fun.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. I did not know you had the Sacramento uh, connection prior to that, so that's <laughs> yeah. pretty ironic. Works out well. Uh, also, yeah. just in news, I guess, Dante DiVincenzo just went to the Warriors on a 9.3. Ah million dollar uh, two-year deal and guy Sacramento didn't extend the qualifying offer for which not sure about that situation but player option in year two we'll see what ends up happening with Dante Um, I think he should be a pretty dang good fit in Golden State in my mind Um, I want to ask you a little bit about uh, the contract of Kevin Herter we talked about it but the four-year 65 million in your mind um, is that a good deal for for a player like Herter Um, I, I feel like I guess I'll just I'll open it up to you there. Is, is that a good deal in your mind for Kevin Herder?
1: I I think it is. I, you know, I, I've always said the player that Herder is right now on a really good team, like a, a team that could win 55 and push for 60 wins. He might be best as the third guard, not because he can't, he's not good up to start, because his versatility coming in and if a point guard goes to the bench and he needs to be on ball for a few minutes and things like that, depending on how that works out. That might be the case. But if you looked around the best teams, that's what a lot of really, really good teams are spending on their third guard who they rely on for secondary creation and some primary defensive roles and things like that. That said, you know, he, uh, I think he is a credible starter on an even an average team in the league and with some growth that, that he's even more than that, right? And that certainly has to be what I think the Kings have in mind there. So I'm completely comfortable with this contract. I think he could... Um, you know, exceed uh, the value, uh, you know, especially if we can kind of show some progress um, in, a, in a few areas uh, and stuff. So I, I don't really have any anxiety, whether I'm thinking from the Hawks perspective, or now the Kings perspective around that contract, I, I have no concern that he won't deliver enough value uh, for that. And, you know, knock on wood, if, if uh, some more growth can happen, I think I think he could very well exceed that Um it, the one area I think that could have been a little concerning is uh, he was a little injury prone his first couple years. But last year he was available kind of start to finish. He had one minor injury there, but he's, you know, he's played 8000 minutes, you know, in, in four seasons and he's been more reliable in the last few years. I think he's really bought into uh, I, I never know. You don't know how true this is, but he's bought into more being more committed to his nutrition uh and other aspects of kind of the the training kind of regiment things like that um and that that showed last year he was much more resilient uh when he took contact and and had minor injuries he got back to the uh, the court more quickly so especially because of that i think that um that makes me feel that was more confident that that's a a good contract and and, and any team should be comfortable owning it i think
0: yeah absolutely um you know, between Kevin Herter and Malik Monk is still less money than what Buddy Heald is making. So I think that uh, the Kings are in a pretty good spot. I feel comfortable with with Kevin Herter's contract. If anyone in the chat has questions for Glenn uh, regarding Herter, but as we kind of start to wrap up here, feel free to shoot them our way. Um, I think you touched on it a little bit, but kind of as we start to wrap up here, 23, about 50 days from, from turning 24. What do you see as kind of the swing skills for Kevin Herter as he continues to develop and where he could potentially take his game to the next level?
1: Yeah, I, I think it's uh, working harder to get out in transition. I, I I think it's hard to maximize Fox if his backcourt mate isn't really committed to kind of making that work. And where, like I said earlier briefly, he's really good as a head-to-head passer, but Fox needs players that will run with him, will sprint with him and buy into that. He's been willing to kind of, um, you know, be in the a trailer uh, and kind of get into that mix. But he he needs to be a little um, more committed to kind of being the guy that's sprinting to one of the corners when Fox is kind of attacking the middle of the court in transition. Um, I, I'll give you an example. The one game the Hawks won in the playoffs last year against Miami, trained it up with a floater in the middle. And, and basically DeLon Wright cleared out the whole – Floor for Trey by sprinting from the right side all the way to the left corner, and when Herder was on the floor and kind of was not seemed unsure what he was going to do, and he ended up kind of being the trailer as he always is the case. But you know that's just a, a, an area of nuance for me with my coaching background. I look at that and say, Kevin, you you know you were ahead of DeLon when Trey got the ball. You've got to be the guy to sprint to that corner, right. and so I th- I think in order for him to help maximize all the talent that Fox brings to the court. You know sprinting and transition being committed to that uh is, is really critical and then when he on the weak side when he attacks when fox say on the strong side or some bonus on the strong side has really commanded a lot of attention to defense when he sees a seam attack that scene aggressively get in there if there's contact embrace it get to the re- get to the free throw line if you know and such so those are the two things is commit to sprinting in transition. And when there are scenes on the weak side, don't settle for a wide open three point shot, even if it's there, you need to attack that leverage defense. So that's what I see there. And then if he can, as he gets a little older, even, you know, being pretty young, become an even stronger physically defender and maybe handling guys that are uh, have more weight than he does. He's, he has good size at six, seven, but maybe being able to defend guys that are, you know, 220, 225, kind of in that range I think that's, those are the areas I would look for growth that could really kind of move the needle in terms of the value he brings.
0: Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, the nuances of transition, uh, I mean, he'll get a lot of opportunities in my mind uh, this next season and, and years past to kind of get all that down, especially alongside Fox. I think Sabonis fits that well and, and some of the other guys we mentioned. Uh, one we got from the chat here, best nickname. This is uh, Royal Rebound's Barry. Shout out if this is Barry. Um, is does everybody just go with red velvet? Is that the go to nickname?
1: That's <laughs> the one you hear like on TV and in the media that's used. Um, it's and, and I see it there in the chat. Someone kind of came up with that, but that seems to be the one everyone kind of gravitated to. Um, what it'll be interesting to see how this plays into his new team, his teammates and such. But when he would do something like because he's white and 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 and, and you know fair skinned and stuff like that when he would like throw down a really impressive dunk his team used to call him cave in that case instead of kevin (laughs) so you'll you'll see if that we will see interesting to see if that follows him to to sacramento um but that's the only other one that i would hear sometimes is when he kind of does something really athletic in a game you would hear that sometimes hardly on tv but everyone knew that was a go-to for the teammates so those are the two that i heard and red velvet everybody you know it's um he's a pretty smooth player. So I guess that works, That I, you know, I'm not the nickname guru, but that seems to be, what. because it seems to align on that being the proper nickname for him.
0: Yeah, definitely. The, the cave on one is pretty funny. I appreciate that, that backstory. That's one of those ones in here in basketball reference. Uh, last thing oh, okay. I got for you, Glenn, um, what else do you think Atlanta's off season looks like? Uh, there was the DeJounte Murray move. Now this Kevin Herter move. John Collins has been linked to Sacramento a lot. I don't know that that fit is still uh, the most ideal with them drafting Keegan Murray and at HB Harrison Barnes. In my mind, would be the primary return. Uh, what do you think the rest of this offseason season looks like, specifically when you're talking about John Collins?
1: Well, I mean, we've, I mean, we I think we all know we've heard so much noise around John Collins going to get moved, and I think that we're still hearing that. Um, but it'll be interesting to see if that actually works out because now, you know, Gallo is gone. Gallo was the other power forward in the rotation last year. And with Murray coming in as not a shooter, right, he has a ton of other offensive value, but they need shooting at the three and the four when, ideally, when Murray is on. And so Collins as a shooter, I know he's not a big volume shooter, but he's a pretty reliable three point shooter, is pretty attractive. Now, he's, he's getting paid $25 million a year. And a lot of Hawks fans are like, oh my God, he can't be the second best player on you know, the next really, really good Hawks team, that's probably true, right? Um, so it'll be interesting to see if they look to make that move. Um, you know, we've heard the Celtics have had some interest in him, but, the, you know, they, they're they bringing in Gallo now, so you wonder if there's still kind of space for that, and they made the move for Brockton, so it seems like there's probably not. I think they still have the trade exception, but who knows? Um, so it all comes down to can they move Bogdanovich if they want to, to give them more clearance of the tax? Bogdanovich had knee surgery, so I think his market is pretty slim, probably at this point in time, unless they were going to attach a pick to that, and hard, maybe hard to do that with what they already sent out in the Murray deal. Um, so I think they've improved themselves a lot defensively. Uh, they have more point of attack defenders. Uh, Aaron Holiday, Justin Holiday, the, you know, the brothers there. Uh, Murray obviously kind of helps move the needle there. And so now it's kind of, I think, figuring out in that 10-man rotation, like how do we get a little bit more shooting there? How do we get more a little more versatility at the five and the four combined, depending upon whether JC is still around or not? And so I think that's where the, the work on the roster is. You know, Kongwu and Capella, if they're both back, indeed, and I think they will be, are both lob threats and play finishers. And so if they could find more playmaking at the four or like a backup wing that has some veteran, you know, playmaking kind of opportunity, that's probably what they'd go for. Um, but it will be interesting to see, um, you know, uh, how that looks. It's, it, it's hard to know what it's available. Travis Slank is kind of an opportunist when it comes to, to deals. And so I think it'll just come down to kind of what pops up there. But um, if they mostly are done, it wouldn't shock me, you know, right now, apart from um, maybe making sure that come the trade deadline, if they're not lined up to be like a top four sheet or something like that, that they have an opportunity to duct, make a deal that gets them under the tax right before the trade deadline expires. And I think with the Harquist deal probably gets them in that range if they need to find a way to move that, attach something to move that. So they, they could be done unless another opportunity pops up, but we'll, we'll, we'll see. I know Hawks fans are interested in, are we going to see Jalen Johnson play uh, in the rotation this year? Uh, and stuff like that and, and aj griffin like does he play this year and nate is famous for not playing rookies and not playing young guys so mm. it, a, a lot of whether they need to do more work on the rotation depends on if they actually have plans to get Jalen into the rotation this year or not same a little bit with sheree cooper um but nate wants veterans so i'm sure he's uh, still bugging uh, Landry landry and travis lane to go get one or two more veterans he can he can play
0: yeah, it's crazy. I forget all the young guys that are on that team. Every single, all three of those young guys that you just mentioned, I was a big fan of uh, Cooper Griffin and, and Jalen Johnson. Jalen Johnson was a very popular one at draft time for, for Kings fans uh, was surprised he fell so far. And AJ Griffin was a popular one in this last cycle too, if, if they to have uh, potentially traded down. But Glenn, I can't say thanks enough for coming on, man, and sharing your perspective and insight on her are super helpful for myself. And I'm sure the rest of Kings fans.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. It was uh, a lot of fun to talk with you. And uh, um, and uh, hey, uh, hoping for a great season from Herder. And uh, I probably get down there for two or three games uh, this next season. I normally do, so um, it'll be fun to kind of catch up and see how he's doing, even in person when I get the opportunity.
0: Absolutely, yeah. Let let me know when you uh, when you're in town. And that's Glenn Willis from Peachtree Hoops. Um, also does the podcast that's under Peachtree Hoops, the ATL and Twenty Nine Podcast, and. Myself, Brendan Nunes from the Kings Herald, and definitely check out the site and all the great work coming on from the guys and gals, including myself there. Uh, take a look at their Patreon to support local independent Kings coverage, and if you enjoyed this episode of the Kings Pulse podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review, and hear from me again in the next couple of days.